new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. The Hawkeyes take sole possession of first place in the Big Ten West after Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin all fell, and Iowa found a way to get the job done against Northwestern. It wasn't pretty. It was probably the way 95% of the college football world expected it to go. But Drew Stevens clutch gene nails a 53-yard field goal uh, with about 10 seconds left to give Iowa the 10-7 to win in Wrigley in a very almost like a baseball-like fashion. But David Eichel, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Before we dive into all this, be sure to stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com. We have plenty of stuff coming from a basketball signing day, which we'll talk about here a little bit, previewing this week against Rutgers, and so much more. Get 50% off an annual subscription today. That's only going to be available for the next couple of days. Uh, so be sure to go to Hawkeye Insider for that. But without further ado, Sean, let's break down at least a little bit of what happened against Northwestern. Uh, no, another offense performance that wasn't pretty. The only thing uglier might have been the field conditions at, at Wrigley with that whole, I think, in the final 10 minutes that just kept popping up and kept delaying the game. Uh, but Iowa's defense, the goal line stand, another Cooper DeGene return that was waved off due to a penalty this time. Uh, Caleb Brown gets involved on the offense. So where, where do you want to start with this team? Uh, just that the fact that they are in first place, it just seems kind of amazing to me at this point, no matter how bad the Big Ten West has been. Right. I mean, you looked at the halftime score and it made a lot of sense of what we kind of expect. I thought maybe there'd be a little spark. Maybe there'd be a little something different when it came to getting points on the board. And I mean, Iowa had its chances in the first half to get points and, you know, get things down the field. I believe they're, they, they got into uh, Northwestern territory twice on their first two drives. And you thought maybe they'd be able to kick a field goal or something. And then there's a, then there's a loss of yards that set them back, set them back a little bit. And then after that, it it really felt like no other team wanted to score. And honestly, looking at this game and watching it, yes, Iowa's defense is nasty. It's as good as it gets. But Northwestern's offense looked just kind of out of place. There were a couple yeah. plays where they were able to get downfield, but you never really thought that, you know, they were going to find a way to score and felt like whoever had the ball and whoever was going to put the ball in the end zone and was going to end up winning. And, you know, that block from Ontario Thompson, that block punt that set up the field, that set up the Iowa's lone touchdown of the game, that was the play of the game probably. Um, obviously, you look at that goal line stand that Iowa had, and that was major too, but and Drew Stevens as well. But, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was one of those classic Big Ten West games. And, I mean, yes, Northwestern didn't really look good or – 
you know, they're a team that obviously has had a lot happen to them uh, yeah. throughout the season and especially in the preseason. But, I mean, you got to tip their hats them a little bit. They've won some pretty, pretty impressive games that not a lot of people expected them to win. And going into a different environment like Wrigley Field, yes, it was basically a home game prior with how many fans were in the Chicagoland area throughout the weekend and then at Wrigley Field. But that's a tough environment. I mean, mentally, that would just be hard for me to really let myself adjust to that because you're playing in a baseball stadium. You're playing a completely yeah. different sport in a in a uh, baseball stadium. So that, I bet, was a mental hurdle that they had to overcome. And, you know, kudos to Iowa. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but, I mean, that's kind of what we're used to at this point. They just found a way to get the job done, and that's that's all you can ask right now with this team, especially considering all the injuries it's had. Yeah, and, you know, that's where I was going to go, too. I mean, you look at the offensive line now. That's been one of the only stable units on offense that's been healthy this season as opposed to past seasons, right? Yes, the wide receiver room has been healthy, but they've been really a non-factor. Rusty Feth went down. I think he came in back in later in the game, but he was clearly hobbled. Mason Richmond exited the game when he was hobbled, and he's been dealing with a couple of undisclosed injuries throughout the season. We have not been able to get any official word on that. Logan Jones went out. One of my, you know, most important players heading into this season, but I think you need to kind of tip your cap to Tyler Ellsbury. I thought he did a phenomenal job stepping into that role at center. There's a cl- a lot of respect I think from his teammates about what he's able to do. Jennings Dunker called Tyler Ellsbury a dictionary, and that says something because Jennings Dunker is a very very smart dude, as as you know, and teammates have joked about. Uh, but he said he's capable of going in there and playing any position he's the most knowledgeable lineman in the room but to go in there understand cadence have that chemistry with deacon hill i think that showcased a lot of his growth Bo stevens went down with an injury does not sound like he'll be back it did not look good on saturday but not a little bit of a surprise there and then who did i mention mason richmond Bo stevens logan jones rusty fest so there's the four that went down the other three are questionable I do think Rusty will be able to go. I'm not so sure about Mason Richmond. If he's not able to go, look for Nick DeYoung probably to step in there. But, Sean, this is a group that only had 169 total yards, were out, was outgained by Northwestern, who only had 170 yards. But, again, you talk about coming up in the clutch, and, you know, Deacon Hill has not had a lot of standout moments, and I know it was a very easy pitch and catch for a lot of teams, but that 23-yard pass down the field, to Caleb Brown, who switched numbers because the, apparently the referees did not like the fact that Caleb and Cooper were both playing offense separate times and had the same number. So they told Kirk to have Caleb switch jerseys, which is why they switched it at half. But, you know, I think you need to tip your cap a little bit to Deacon Hill. I think everybody knows what he is at this point. I don't know how much better he's going to get this season, Sean. But he was in that same situation last week, right? and he couldn't get the ball in the field goal range with two minutes left. He delivered a great ball to Caleb Brown. Caleb Brown kind of breaks the ice a little bit, and he seemed very confident. We got the chance to talk to him this week, and he said it's about time, and he's looking forward to kind of you know, continuing to ascend. And a very interesting comparison from Kirk Ferentz really kind of perked my ears up. He was talking about Caleb Brown. He said he wants to see a similar ascension the way Jay Higgins kind of continued to ascend. That's the way he wants to see Caleb Brown. Now, those are lofty expectations, but I don't think Kirk really throws around those type of comparisons lightly. Uh, so I think he clearly understands that there's some talent with Caleb, and we'll see if he's going to be a part of the game plan more going forward. 
Yeah, I think, yes, Caleb Brown is very talented. Yes, you know, he's probably the most athletic, if not one of the most athletic wide receivers in the Big Ten. And I mean, not in the Big Ten, in Iowa's wide receiver room. Um, I mean, if not the Big Ten. Yeah. And we all saw what he did in high school. We all saw what he, you know, is ranking, what, where, what schools were after. I mean, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State. And I think Kirk Ferentz has stressed it a lot throughout the year. It's like he played running back in high school. And yeah. just because a lot of these guys were as highly rated as they are and, you know, as highly sought after as they were in high school, I mean, he's still learning the position. He's still learning, you know, because to play wide receiver at Iowa, as you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily fans of it. You got you got to know how to block, and yep. you got to be able to catch the football when you're in it. Yes, there are some times where you know you could get frustrated with your wide receiver because they're not putting the ball right where you want it, or they're missing you, or they're locked in on one receiver. I totally get that, but there's so much that go goes into being a wide receiver, and you know, being able to play the position effectively, and you know, unlocking your full potential to you know kind of put things over put the team over yourself, um, yeah. I guess. So I'm not saying that was Caleb Brown's problem, but, you know, there's just a lot that goes into it. And it's it's a waiting game. And I get the frustration because Caleb was so highly sought after. And, I mean, there was a reason that the schools were after him in the portal that were after him. And, um, you know, Jay Higgins, I mean, you look at his career path, making that impact on special teams early in his career, he was – not didn't have the offer list wasn't the prospect that Caleb was coming out of high school man he just flat out produced and he just Mm -hmm. put his nose nose to the grindstone you know put his head down and just worked and you know I think Caleb if he can stay patient if he can continue to stay patient then that's a really good comparison I think from KF and I mean I'm interested to continue to see how that develops and you know, if, if this can be a spark for Caleb Brown, then I think a lot of people are happy no matter what happened before this game. And I think at this point, Caleb understands as well as anybody. Like, the offense is what it is at this point, and I also don't think this is the real semblance of the Iowa offense we're going to see in the future. Now we're going to get into – not this episode, but later on we're going to get into, you know, potential offensive coordinator fits. I know we've d- talked a lot about that on our VIP message board. Uh, But I think, Caleb, this is a big confidence booster for him just to, again, really break the ice. And Iowa needs some perimeter threats because, Sean, if you look at the schedule, Rutgers is, I believe, 33 in rushing defense in the country. And people may laugh at Nebraska. Sean, they're third in the country in rushing defense. So that's going to be a legitimately very tough game if Iowa can't get on the perimeter. And you know, make some things happen in the wide receiver game. And that's something I want to move to as well. Kirk Ferentz finally played Cooper Jean on offense. Now, Cooper kept things close to the vest more than usual this week when we were asking him about it. And I think an underrated part of Cooper playing offense is this. You don't just go in and play offense. Cooper has to spend time studying film and doing preparing and all this stuff, right? He studies special teams and defense every single week. Well, now he has to study on the offensive side, he has to steady opposing defenses as well as everything else he already does. Like it doesn't matter if it's five or 10 snaps, like his focus is still being taken away a little bit uh, from what he's meant to do. Now, could it be in effect this week more than usual? Yeah. Because you look at Rutgers, right? They're 131st in completion percentage in the country. I think they're 49.6. It's not great. Only better than 
I think, a service academy in Iowa. Um, and I did really like what they did. I mean, they gave him the the handoff, the jet sweep, and, and Cooper said it was the first handoff he's taken since middle school in a game, which was really kind of wild to think about. Uh, but that went for eight yards. And then the second play they used him on, they put him in motion. That threw off the defense, and that gave LaShawn Williams a six-yard carry up the middle. But it was very close to breaking off for a bigger run, Sean. The defense was a little bit surprised almost that that Cooper went in on offense. So what do you think is a realistic workload for Cooper DeGene? Because you also have to think about the betterment of Cooper DeGene. You have to protect him. Like that is additional wear and tear if he's taking hits like that and getting the ball in his hands five to seven times a game. And where do you play him? Do you play him a wildcat? Do you throw him in the slot? Do you throw him at X receiver? Just find a way to give him the ball. Uh Again, I like the idea of getting them in offense, Sean, but I, I don't envy them battling about how much to actually use them on offense right now. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a tough conversation because Cooper is so valuable for you at the cornerback position and just defensively as a whole because him being on one side of the field kind of puts a focus for opponents to throw the ball to the other side of the field, and that can kind of you know help the Iowa defense you know, maybe focus more on one side of the field or maybe one of the safeties kind of, you know, lure over to that other side where Jamari Harris is. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and especially with Iowa's defensive back depth, I mean, Sean Lee's coming back from the injury. He's been on the availability list. Uh, TJ Hall is obviously out. They had true freshman John Nestor working with the second team. And John's been really impressive too, but, I mean, he's a true freshman. But they have two other guys, Devin Hilson, uh, and Brandon Diaz Fernandez that can be thrown in there, but it seems like there's a clear gap between that those two starters and the backups. I mean, obviously Deshaun Lee, I think you can throw in that you know first group with the starters, but the different the gap between I think Cooper and the rest of the defensive backs is cornerbacks is so wide and he's so important to this defense that it makes it hard and. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I, I threw out this question on our message board yesterday, and it's not like he has to get the ball every time that he yeah. is on offense. Like you said, he can kind of be used as a decoy like he was with that LaShawn Williams run. And it really seemed to add, like, a little bit of a spark to the offense from what I saw. Like, it kind of seemed like there was a little bit of energy after that play that he had on that jet sweep. Um where, I mean, on that run play that he had. And it kind of just seemed like there was a little bit, little bit more of a pep and Iowa step um, after that play. And while it didn't turn to points on that drive, it was still pretty, you know, it was noticeable, I think. And it was, yeah. it was kind of cool to see because when do you see Kirk Ferentz do something like that? And I think Iowa fans have been craving for it too. And just wanting to see what he can do on the offensive end, because man, if, if Iowa had more guys in that cornerback room that they felt really comfortable with taking those snaps from Cooper, I mean, why not put him on offense for 15 to 20 snaps? Right now it seems more reasonable to have five to yeah. ten. But, I mean, if you had more – if you had more – if Iowa was able to land some of the cornerbacks they were going after in the portal, I mean, you could probably throw him both ways, I mean, pretty consistently. But it, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It if, I, if anyone can do it athletically, it's him. But mm. – and mentally, he's really smart, too, but that's just a lot for someone to take in. It is, and it's almost a risk, too. I mean, I think about, you know, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about this, but his pro career, right? I mean, you think about how much wear and tear he has on his body. I mean, this is a guy who's going to be getting tens of millions of dollars here 
in the near future, right? This is a first round pick. But I also understand Kirk's approach. They they need to win now. I mean, they have a lot to play for. I know people can speculate about what would happen in Indianapolis. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what would happen in Indianapolis with all the injuries and everything. But you don't throw in the towel. You're in first place in the Big Ten West. You you win three games, you're going back to Indianapolis. And given all of the offseason uh, talk about – and in-season talk about the offense, the offensive coordinator, all of these injuries, like – even if they go to Indianapolis and get killed, Sean, there's still so much I think the team should be proud of. I know the Big Ten West is bad, but do you know how hard it is to win a division, a Power Five division, with this horrendous of an offense? You need to tip your cap to them. You have to find that sort of right balance in it. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I'm very curious what they do with Cooper. I do think – I don't want to say he's going to be a mainstay in this Iowa offense – but I also think that they have to have two or three packages, just kind of emergency, like, hey, we need a play. We need to space out the defense. We need to kind of keep them on their toes a little bit more. And that's when you throw in Cooper even to be a decoy. Um, because right now I think there's so much pressure on the special teams and defense score. Like, And by the way, I meant to mention this. We talked about defense earlier. Jay Higgins is on could potentially be the single-season tackles record. And I think you need to tip your cap to him. You talk about – the impossible challenge of replacing Jack Campbell and all Jack Campbell meant to Iowa, not just from a production standpoint, Sean, but from a leadership standpoint, Jay Higgins has exceeded every single expectation. And I think he's going to get that single record. And I think you need to really applaud him because this is a guy who was really under the radar for the most part in the recruiting cycle. I know you, you kept up with his recruitment pretty closely better than anyone, I think. And you and I like this film. And we thought it was going to be a little bit of a steal when he came to Iowa. I think he was top 20 in the nation in high school and tackles his senior season. He's been a production machine. And I talked to him this week and I asked him kind of what gives him that humble nature and how he's been able to kind of wait patiently for his role. And he said, Jack Campbell and Seth Benson were the two of the nicest guys on the team. And they truly cared about Higgins's development. And he said, it's also a humbling game. That's what football is. He said, I could go out there and make 10 plays in a row, but the second I get comfortable, they could go over the top and I could get beaten. It's going to be my fault for not playing the keys. So I think that mindset's really helped him step in the leadership role as well. So I, I think he needs to be an All-American consideration. I don't know if he'll get it just because he doesn't have the, the star power. But given what he's meant to this Iowa defense and what the Iowa defense has meant to just this team overall, I think it's it should be worth considering. And another thing I want to mention really quick before we kind of move on here a little bit, Sean, we were a little bit spect uh, skeptical this season about the Iowa defense and how good they would be. I think you and I both said they would be, what, top 10, top 15, which is still a really good top, defense. Yeah, like top 20-ish, I think, is what I said. Yeah. I mean, I think over the last six weeks, Sean, they've really ascended into that elite defense, that elite category. I mean, the, the touchdown they gave up in the fourth quarter against Northwestern was the first touchdown they'd given up in 11 quarters. Uh, even against Penn State, they gave up 31 points. Yes, their third down defense wasn't good, but they weren't getting killed over the top, right? They were getting death by a thousand, you know, spoon cuts, right? It, it was just crazy. Um, but I think you need to kind of give your flowers to this defense and the way they've really continued to ascend, I think, over the past six weeks. Last year's defense, I still think is better, but the stats from this year's group and what they've been able to do, I think they have a lot to be proud of, uh, especially because I, I feel like, Last year's defense was almost taken for granted because everybody's focused so much on the offense from the national perspective. Like Iowa's defense was 
all-time great in college football last season. And I think this group is going to be another really, really good group that ends up, I think, top five in the country when it's all said and done. Yeah, most definitely. And, I mean, you talk about losing Kayvon Merriweather, losing Riley Moss, losing, obviously, those linebackers. Um, you lose a couple guys on the defensive line. I mean, Noah Shannon especially. Like, yeah. not having him out there and he was going to be back. You lose Lucas Van Ness from last year. That's that's a really impressive job. And that speaks to the way that Iowa's guys that are in the program or the developmental guys or guys that may be behind those guys are ready to step in and make an impact. That just shows, you know, how how well the coaching staff does when it comes to preparing these guys to take that next step, to take that next role and you know, kind of just shows the next man in uh, the next man in mindset that this Iowa team and you know the program kind of instills in these guys. So that's it's been really good to see. And I mean, it's kind of the same case as last year. Like, where would this Iowa team be if it weren't for the defense? You know that 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 yeah. begs the question: where where would this team be? And I mean, offense like. Obviously, it's had struggles. It's, you know, not what it needs to be, not what a lot of people expected it to be. And, you know, there's hope that that can change next year. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, as far as the rest of the yeah. year goes, I mean, you have three more games that are probably going to be grind out games again. Rutgers is probably going to be a, you know, 13-10, you know, 12-9, whatever you want to call it game. But they also probably will have the – best or maybe second best running back that Iowa will yeah. face this season in Big Ten play. Um, Illinois is a tough squad, but, you know, they lost – or um, they're, they're a different team from last year. Nebraska is going to yeah. be tough, but, I mean, if Iowa can get these teams to play the way that Iowa wants to play, then I think Iowa has a good chance of winning all three of these games. Yeah, I'm with you. And let's move along to a brief Rutgers preview. We'll have a ton of that already on HawkeyeInsider.com, just more so about some of the specifics. But I think Gavin Wimsett's going to be a nice little test for Iowa because you think about the quarterbacks they've played this year, Sean. I think Gavin probably is the most mobile, would you say, of the bunch so far. I mean, this is a guy that can get out in space and make things happen. Has not had the grace. You're throwing the ball 49%, uh, eight touchdowns, five picks. 1,263 yards, but again, rushing the football. I mean, a couple weeks ago against Indiana, he had 16 carries for 143 yards and three touchdowns. Has just very long strides, very athletic guy. Had 49 rushing yards against Ohio State, 43 against Wisconsin. He can extend plays, and I think that's going to be a very interesting test for this Iowa defensive line specifically. And the thing I really like that Iowa did last week it seemed like Nick Jackson was a little bit more aggressive. He was able to go attack the quarterback more. He made some hurries happen. He got that sack, I believe, as well. I'd really like to see Nick Jackson get in the backfield in this game as well, or at least be a quarterback spy on Gavin. Uh, but you mentioned this Rutgers team likes to run the football. They can definitely do some good things. They have a couple interesting little weapons. Uh, but, again, I think Greg Schiano is a guy that Kirk Ferentz has a tremendous amount of respect for it. He spoke glowingly in the press conference about the rebuilding job he's done because people might forget this, Sean. Three years ago, Rutgers was arguably the worst program in Power Five. 
I mean, that was a program that they didn't get Greg Schiano. I don't know if they ever recover as a program. Uh, so I think he's done a tremendous job there. So I think Iowa's going to be ready, but Rutgers definitely presents a, a couple of different challenges. And I know you've done a little bit of research on that. And you mentioned the running back has 900 yards, seven touchdowns on the year. Uh, Jay Higgins definitely loves to defend the run. He admitted that. Uh, and he's going to be a very, very vital piece. But I'd also look for Jamari Harris and Cooper DeGene on the corners. Can they stay in their keys and, and can they be aggressive in stopping the run as well? Yeah, and I mean, Rutgers stuck with Ohio State last week, I think, for yeah. much of the game. I mean, I think it was into the third quarter, maybe late into the third quarter that Ohio State started to pull away. Um, so Rutgers can really play with anyone. And their defense, it's kind of the same deal as Iowa. Their defense is really rock solid, very very strong, very consistent. The offense is kind of where it's been a little iffy, I mean, outside of that run game because their run game has pretty much saved them on offense. Um so yeah, I mean, like I said before, it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle. It's going to be a tough physical game. Rutgers to me probably embodies the Big Ten West more than any Big Ten East team this year, hmm. from at least how they play from a physical standpoint. I mean, Michigan, you could say that because they rely a lot on running the ball, um, and they're a physical team too, but Rutgers just feels like a Big Ten West and West team. To me, for some reason, um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating matchup. That's gonna be a physical game at the point of attack, and you know Iowa's got to be able to make Gavin Wimsat beat them. And if they can do that, I think they have a pretty good shot. I mean, at this point, I trust the Iowa defense kind of against anyone. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of you know what did it for Iowa on Saturday against Northwestern is they were able to make that two or three big plays that. And, I mean, even special teams, too, with the complimentary football talk, they were able to make those one or two big plays on offense that set them up for a score and set them up for success. And, I mean, it would not surprise me if that's the same thing on Saturday against Rutgers. But I think Rutgers is a little more potent to make a big play happen as opposed to maybe Minnesota, Wisconsin, or, uh, or Northwestern. Yeah, I think that you saying that they're the most like Big Ten West team of the East. I think it's a really interesting point. I think you're right. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. They they run the ball well. They aren't explosive in the passing game, but they rely upon a really, really good defense and a pretty good special teams for the most part. I mean, throughout since Shiano got back, it seems like they can definitely make some things happen there. <clears throat> Something I want to talk about too. I meant to bring this up earlier, but you know, it's going to be a storyline to watch this week. How much does Iowa use Caleb Johnson? Because that's been a very, very hot topic on our message board. I know I've been tweeted a bunch about what's been going on with him. Uh, Kirk said there's no drama. He said he's playing the best players that are practicing. Caleb's a guy that had sky-high expectations going into the year. And to be fair to Caleb, he's dealt with a couple injuries. Like, he's barely been 100% this season. So I think you need to kind of give him a little bit of a break on that one. Uh, and LaShawn Williams has exceeded a lot of people's expectations. He's kind of been that more workhorse back, scratching and grinding out for almost every yard he's gotten. Uh, but Caleb Johnson's a guy that, you know, has big games against Purdue. I think he played pretty well against Rutgers last season in the fourth week of the year, Sean. Uh, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I guess I just kind of want your take because I, I feel like you have to keep Caleb Johnson engaged. And this season especially, it feels like he's been very hot or he's not really effective at all. It seems like he's almost kind of fallen into, and this is no disrespect to Tyler Goodson, who's a really, really good running back for Iowa. He's kind of fallen into that home run or bust kind of running back instead. What I thought really made him effective last year was scratching and clawing out some of the shore yard situations and picking out his spots to look for the explosive run. It just seems like he's kind of more of a home run or nothing back at this point. Uh, curious what your take on that is. Yeah, and I think once you get a taste of that as a running back too, I mean, obviously he had the long runs last year against Nevada, Purdue, and I know he had one in another game too. Um, I think once you get a taste of those, you're kind of looking for that. You're kind of craving for that. And he had one obviously this year against Purdue too. I think you I think you just start looking for that more. Maybe, I mean, I never played running back, so I can't really understand the full – you know, mindset of it or how they kind of operate. But, yeah, I mean, and especially when you have two other running backs that, you know, can deliver, I mean, I think a lot of people would have thought – would not have thought that LaShawn Williams would be the number one back for Iowa this year. Yeah. Why is that? Because, I mean, you, there was so much offseason talk about Caleb Johnson, Jazzy, and Patterson, and it kind of feels like LaShawn Williams' whole career that he's kind of been pushed to the side when talking about – you know, running backs at Iowa because he's just not this, like, just doesn't have that, you know, explosive running ability, which he showed against Wisconsin that he does have it. So, I mean, I think with Caleb, like you said, I mean, there there is no drama from what we've been told and Kirk said on, on Tuesday, but I still think he's kind of bothered by the injuries. And I think that's where the biggest yeah. thing is. And I mean, it's a physical game and, you know, if you're bothered, if you're thinking about your injury and not getting hit, then next thing you know, the defense kind of picks up on that. And next thing you know, I mean, if you're thinking about not getting hit or avoiding kind of the injury, you know, one you know second later, you could be fumbling the football. And you know how valuable time of possession is and just having the football in your hands is during these Big Ten West games, especially with Iowa's offense. So, not saying Caleb has a has a fumbling issue, but I mean we've seen it from running back Iowa running backs in the past that you know have had these kind of issues when you know they've maybe been coming off injuries or dealing with injuries. I mean yeah. it was a big issue for Ivory Kelly Martin a couple of years ago. Um, I think there was one other running back that seemed to really have a big issue with it for for some time, but I can't remember who exactly. But it's just always there. And if you're thinking about it, then, you know, you could potentially lose the football and, you know, it could be costly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and people give Kirk a lot of grief, too, for his practice comment. But, you know, that's just how they do it. That's just how they do it. That's yeah. just, you know, how they operate. If you're not practicing well, then you're not going to play. Or, you know, if they feel a guy – I mean, there's a reason why they've ridden with LaShawn this whole year is because, yes, he's been healthy, but he's been the most consistent. And if you can do that, then you're going to be you're going to be getting snaps and you're going to be getting carries. 
so a couple notes, then we're going to move on to basketball here. Uh, Caleb Johnson had 15 carries for 58 yards last year. So not nothing over the top, but still a nice game for what Iowa needed in that circumstance. And Cooper DeGene did have a 45-yard pick six against Rutgers last year. So I'm curious if Shiano kind of pinpoints to avoid that side of the field in the passing game because they are going to have to try to throw the ball on him eventually. Uh, but it'll be interesting to kind of watch that. We'll have our final score predictions up at HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, during our preview, so be sure to stay tuned to that. Uh, but, Sean, it, it's crossover season. Iowa men's basketball held their season opener last night uh, against North Dakota. Iowa came away with a 110-68 victory. North Dakota is not projected to be great, so I want to preface our comments by saying that. Uh, but let's dive into this a little bit before we wrap up with a little bit of recruiting talk. Sean, I, I took away a lot of positive things last night. I A couple of things that stood out to me really quick. We can kind of break it down just according from there. DeSante Bowen looked phenomenal at point guard, I think. Not to use a franism, uh, but it looked like he was in full command of the offense. And I think that's something that really was the big difference between him last year and this year. Great decision-making. He knew when to attack. He hit the three-pointers, Iowa's first shot of the season. Uh, Owen Freeman. I know he's been a big rebounder on the foreign, you know, the overseas trips and, and in practice. I think he needs to continue to showcase that a little bit more. But that is a guy that understands his size. He is not afraid to dunk the basketball. And that is something that's been an issue for past Iowa bigs, I think. And I think that's a very good step forward there. I love Laje Dembele. Hitting two threes in the season opener is absolutely massive uh, for him. And I know people like to give Fran McCaffrey a lot of grief because it seems like year after year he said, yeah, you know, this is the deepest team I've ever had. Sean, this might be, you know, by the end of the year, if the minutes keep going like this, this might be along the lines of the deeper teams that, that Fran's had. And I, I absolutely love this freshman class. They're all going to play a big part in this season. Uh, and I don't know how good Iowa's going to be. But that is as good of a debut as I think you could ask for as many question marks as Iowa has. Yeah, I think before I talk about the fresh, and one thing that I really like from the Sante Bone is you look at his stat line, obviously he was good on the offensive end, zero turnovers, which he had four against Quincy. And one of the things that really stood out to me is Eli King, the opposing, the North Dakota point guard who came from Iowa State, was a pretty you know heavily sought after prospect in the 2022 class yeah. king king had two points was one of nine of shooting had four assists four turnovers and four fouls and i mean for a decent amount of the game bowen was matched up against him and made his life really difficult so yes i mean there's a reason why eli went down to the mid-major level but i think you have to give i mean that's that's not an easy matchup for bowen i mean bowen has the Probably the – or definitely the athleticism um, as or the burst, the quickness. Eli's a pretty athletic player, but Bowen definitely has that quickness. And, I mean, Eli's a little stronger, a little more put together. But Bowen, I mean, looked like a couple times where he just kind of, you know, had, had his way in the post and, yep. you know, just – or not in the post, in the paint and, you know, just seemed really comfortable with getting into the lane and – you know, being a physical point guard, which is what Iowa needs him to be this year. They need him to be a strong physical point guard who can playmake and, you know, can get into the lane and, you know, kind of kind of handle his own business and, you know, not turn the basketball over. That's going to be so big 
for DeSante mm-hmm. Bowen. And, you know, I know it's one ex- or it's one game against a team that's supposed to be, you know, kind of a midway team in the Summit League. But it really seems like DeSante Bowen is taking that point guard position and really running with it. Um, I think there was some talk throughout the postseason that maybe Tony Perkins would take on the one spot. Josh Dix, I know, started at the one in the secret scrimmage against Wichita State. But Bowen seems to be really comfortable and really pulling in stride. And, you know, that game against Creighton is probably going to be a big uh, yeah. a big check for him. Um, I mean, I know Iowa is probably going to have their struggles in that game. But, I mean, hey, if they're hitting shots and getting up and down the floor as well as they did against North Dakota – um, you know, they, they could really compete with Creighton in Omaha. And Creighton's probably is probably the model for playing up tempo and playing, you know, that type of offense that Iowa wants to run. But, you know, that could be a really good game for DeSante Bowen. And, you know, real quick before, you know, you go into your next point, the freshmen, what I liked about them is, you know, they just don't miss a beat. I mean, yes, there was some sloppy play in the second half. Um, turnovers, defense, rebounding was a little sloppy in the second half. But, I think you like to see that comfort from them. And there just isn't really a big drop-off when they get into the game. And, you know, usually you'd expect that with your second unit. Guys have a hard time scoring. Guys are not, you know, communicating defensively. Guys are turned over the basketball, you know, kind of playing out of their bodies a little bit. But this group seems to be really poised and really just together and, you know, doesn't really seem like there's a big drop-off in in talent. I mean – Yes, the, the starters are more experienced. Yes, and they know they know they've been through a Big Ten season. They played, you know, high major opponents, been to an NCAA tournament. But you really like to see that comfort and that, you know, just confidence in a freshman group right away, no matter who the opponent is. I mean, Quincy, they looked really comfortable against North Dakota. I think they even had a better game. Um, you know, that group is gonna be really good. And, you know, we've been saying it all along. People's given people have given Fran a hard time for recruiting and You know, yes, there have been some misses that have been pretty tough. And, yes, there have been some, you know, guys that maybe they should have hit on that they didn't. But you got to give them credit for this 2023 class because, yes, I mean, it's one game. But, man, I mean, just to see what they've done in their first couple months on campus is is good to see. And, you know, it's a really positive. I mean, yes, we'll see what it's like once Big Ten play hits. But, I mean, you got to like what you've seen so far. Brock Harding and Owen Freeman are just so natural on the court together. There's such a unique chemistry that's there. They played in high school together for the final year, but there's going to be a lot of really cool plays, I think, between the two of them throughout the course of the career. And by the way, Brock Harding is a dog. I mean, I, I loved his defensive intensity. Put it, And that's what I love about the freshmen too, Sean. Their defensive intensity is on another level. I mean, they, nobody is dogging on that end of the court. You mentioned that they were a little bit sloppy in the second half. And I, I asked Fran this after the game because it always seems like Iowa's so much better when their transition game gets going strong, right? Iowa had 21 first half points off turnover off North Dakota turnovers, 13 turned in 21. And that kind of kept going in the second half. And Fran said, you know, we just, with the way the motion offense works, everybody just understands their role going from transition into a half court. Fran doesn't stop and call a half court set. He doesn't tell his team to slow down. They know what to expect. You know, they know what are, is expected of them when they step on the court. And Fran mentioned that there was a point in the second half where the four freshmen got a little bit, a little bit sped up, didn't really run the offense the way they wanted to force some bad shots. Fran said, I took them out 
let the stars get back in there. They took back control of the game. And then he said, right when I threw in the freshman again, they picked up exactly where the starters were and they corrected the mistake. And I think that earned a lot of trust from Fran and those freshmen. They were able to go back in there and do that. Quickly wanted to go back to DeSante Bowen too. Fran mentioned after the game that he was most impressed by DeSante in the final four minutes of the first half because he put him back in and DeSante was the reason why they had a 20, you know, 24, 26 point lead rather than a 16 to 18 point lead going into half because Bowen just really made good decisions, really turned it up a notch. And Fran loved the defense of DeSante. So he's so conditioned and he's working his tail off on the perimeter. And I think that's what's going to continue to get DeSante minutes is if he can not turn the ball over, play good defense and hit a shot or two. And uh, we haven't mentioned Peyton Sanford yet. Peyton Sanford is probably one of the biggest microwaves in, in the country because right when he gets going, he will throw up a heat check in three seconds. And Fran, you know, everybody that watched the game understands after Peyton got going, he threw up some bad shots. Like, let's just call it what it is, Sean. You, you love you love Peyton shooting them. You still think they might get win, but they're not high quality. And Fran said, I didn't want to take those guys out when they do that because he doesn't want to ruin the aggressive mindset and the confidence in them. So he kind of just dealt with the streak. And then right when he took him out, he just said, hey, sell down. And I love Peyton Sanford going to the rim a lot more. I felt like he was less of a floater on the perimeter. He displayed better ball handling. He tried to get in the paint, threw down that one-handed jam in traffic that I have not seen Peyton do. I didn't know he had that in his arsenal. Obviously, he could dunk, but to that degree, I don't think people realize there's a difference between that and a basic two-handed dunk on a fast break, right? Uh, but I like seeing that out of Peyton. Really liked Patrick McCaffrey. I thought he made some good decisions, Was you know took good shots, six of seven from the line. Iowa, 18 of 20 from the line for the game. Uh, 12 of 24 from three. I mean, they let's keep it real, Sean. They didn't shoot the ball well from three in that Quincy matchup, and some people are a little bit concerned about that. It's going to be just a night-by-night thing if Iowa has it or not. Uh, Price Sanford didn't have the start to his career he wanted to, uh, but he's going to be a guy that's going to hit a lot of shots. He's one for seven, one for three from three-point range. Hauled in three rebounds as well. If there's one thing I'm a little bit suspect of, Sean, uh, and again, it's early, I'd really like to see Iowa dominate the glass more. I think Owen Freeman you know, needs to step up a little bit more in that department. Again, he had a great game, not taking anything away from him, but three rebounds in 15 minutes. I'd like to see Laje Dembele only had one board in 15 minutes, and we've heard so much about how great of a rebounder he's been in practice, blocking shots and doing all those things. I think Lodgy needs to, you know, get on the glass a little bit. And there were some really weird balances and stuff too. Iowa's defense really wasn't catering toward rebounding. Uh, but I'd like to see that improve. And I thought Ben Cricky really, really settled into his own in the second half. I mean, I, I think he's going to be a natural fit for what this team wants to be and what Fran likes to do. Good to see him hit that three-point shot to kind of get his confidence going there. And I also really liked seeing, uh, you know, he, he had six boards on the night. I, I'd like to see that go up. But another thing about Peyton Sanford, too, he had nine rebounds. He was all over the glass. I really, really liked what I saw of him there. Uh, but I think just more of a, a collection and team-based emphasis on rebounding, Sean. I mean, that's what I want to say is going to make or break this team. But it's going to be a difference between them being ninth place in the Big Ten and sixth. Yeah, I mean, Iowa, is, as you know, struggled in the defensive rebounding category last year a little bit. I think they were they were 127th on Ken Palm in that category. And then when you mix 
when you mix it, that teams were shooting 37% from three against them, which was 318th in the country and then 53% on their two-point shots. Um, they, that's not a recipe for success. But, I mean, it, like like you said, three-point shooting for Iowa is going to be so key. Rebounding is going to be really key. But, man, if they can play defense and defend well and, you know, kind of rely on that like they did on Tuesday, then, they're, then they can really, you know, raise the ceiling because offensively they're going to have their nights. Offensively they won't have their nights. But if they can, you know, stay consistent on defense and, you know, kind of take that defensive mindset and, you know, really stick with it, then I think, you know, they, they could win some games that they're not supposed to and, you know, potentially improve their seed in Big Ten play because they are so deep. They have so many weapons. It's a really intriguing team. I think a lot of people were, you know, kind of under underwhelmed with this team going into this year. And, I mean, yes, it's only been one game. But I think the game on Tuesday really sparked the interest of a lot of people just based on how hard they play in that freshman class and, you know, just kind of the guy stepping in a new role. So this team, I mean, it's probably one of the more intriguing ones in the Big Ten outside of that top three group, which was, you know, mainly considered to be Michigan State, Purdue, um, like Wisconsin, Maryland, a couple of those teams. So. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of intrigue there, and you know they could they could surprise some people. It'll be uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, so moving on to our final segment, we have a couple of recruiting tidbits. It's National uh, Signing Day for basketball. Iowa has officially added Cooper Koch and Chris Tadjo. I love this class, Sean. I mean, it's only two it's only two different players, but two players I think that will fill roles pretty quickly. Um, and it also leaves Iowa the transfer portal. If they want to go open and explore the transfer portal and land some impact pieces, I think Fran, as much as he doesn't like the transfer portal to some degree, I think he understands that he can get value out of it and guys that sort of fit his system and and transfer for the right reasons is a big thing that you know he emphasizes. But I know Cooper Koch is a legacy, but that is a very very big get for Iowa. I think he his stock is kind of been up and down i think it's more so on the up and up now uh, i think one of the best shooters probably in the 2024 class and you know fran emphasizes offense but it just seems like a really really good fit uh from both ends yeah i've been watching Koch since his freshman season and you know there's he's kind of been the same player but this year is kind of really when he took off for this AAU season. Granted, he had a lot of guys around him that could, you know, take some of the attention off him from a defensive standpoint and opponent standpoint. But, man, just the way he is as a connector on the floor, you know, he's a really good shooter. Obviously, that's been talked about. Can kind of hit it from anywhere on the perimeter. Um, he's a good passer, really high basketball IQ, workhorse kind of guy. Still maybe growing a little bit. I mean, JR is seven foot. His father played for uh, Iowa in the 1990s. Cooper's listed at six foot nine, six foot eight around there. Could get to the six foot ten. Seems like a really ideal for that stretch four spot. I mean, athletically, that's where he's going to have to make the biggest leaps. That's where he's going to have to, you know, really perform from a strength perspective too. That's going to be a it's going to be a step for him. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how he fits at Metamora this year. Metamora. Uh, so Cooper spent his first three years at Peoria Notre Dame fit wasn't great for him the offensive system wasn't really ideal for him but Metamora yeah. 
has a lot of weapons that they can put around Cooper and just a really talented team that plays with more space and, you know, kind of just is a better fit for him overall. So it's really interesting to see how he does this year. Metamora is probably the class 3A favorite in the state of Illinois, won the state championship last year, really good team in the Peoria area. So if you're in that area, you should go see Cooper Koch play because, you know, from a skill perspective and, you know, just how his ability to shoot the ball I think there's a chance he plays a role as a freshman just because Frame places such a premium on shooting the basketball and being able to spread the floor. Um, like I said, though, athletically is where he's going to have to make the biggest leap. But, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin really wanted him bad. Purdue really wanted him bad. Like, really bad Purdue wanted him bad. Um, so that, that kind of yeah. tells you all you need to know about Cooper. And, you know, more schools would have offered, but those legacy ties, man, were just really strong. And people thought, why bother at that point? So. Really, I mean, not to mention Indiana and Illinois were recruiting them hard, too. So, it's a really, really good get for Iowa. Chris Tajo, the guy that not a lot of people are going to know about. Uh, I believe he's a Canadian, Canada native, is in Mexico City with the NBA Academy. Six foot eight. I think a little bit raw offensively for the most part, Sean, but he has some very athletic plays, tremendous athlete aggressive rebounder despite his kind of skinnier frame and defensively he's got a lot of versatility there I think when you're a Fran McCaffrey you will be able to score in Fran's offense like Fran McCaffrey will score points it almost doesn't matter who lines up but defense and rebounding again it just seems like it's been such a common theme over the years again I I absolutely love Laji Dembele I think his upside is tremendous I think it's incredibly high on both ends of the floor. Now, will he be a 20-point-a-night scorer in Iowa? Probably not. But that's a guy, I think, in the future that can average 15 and 8 and be a strong defensive presence of the blocker, too. Like, that's that's awesome, I think, for Fran McCaffrey and company. Chris is a guy who's a unique prospect, and I like the way that Fran has sort of combined his current roster with the guys he's recruiting. Because I think, Sean, let's call it the way it is, like, Iowa, in my opinion, has mismanaged the roster a little bit over the past couple of years. Uh, yes, you had Luca Garza, uh, but it just seems like you were lacking either game-breaking guards or you didn't have enough size. Like now I think you look up and down the lineup. There's a lot of roster versatility, and I think that's really, really important by the way that Fran McCaffrey likes to you know, run his basketball team. Chris is a guy where I don't know how much of an, an immediate impact he can make, but if he comes in, is an aggressor rebounder, Defensive versatility can be scrappy on the boards, putbacks. He could probably carve out a role his freshman year. Again, I think a different player from Cooper Koch, but two guys that will probably be able to play alongside one another. I don't want to say with ease, but they'll complement each other very, very well. Yeah, Tajo, you can kind of play as a big four, kind of a small five type, and depending on defenses and what he's going to give you right away is defense. Like defensive versatility is a really positive thing with him. I mean, realistically, I feel like he could guard all five positions depending on where you're at in the court. Um, obviously, you don't want to put him at the one all the time, but you know he can. You can switch with him in ball screens. You know he can guard on the perimeter. He can guard in the post. Obviously, we'll have to add some strength to his frame, but for his size and his build, he's he's pretty strong, and that's a really good step for Iowa. I mean, he's becoming more comfortable on the offensive end. That's not where he's going to have the biggest impact for Iowa. You know, he needs to work on coordination a little bit, but 
once he kind of gets it, once he kind of, you know, grows into his body, becomes more comfortable as an offensive threat, and, you know, just improves his hands. I mean, he's not going to have the hands that Luca Garza had, but he can get after on the boards. Like I say, he can guard multiple positions. You know, he can kind of be that high-energy effort guy that maybe Owen Freeman is as a freshman, but Owen Freeman is a bit more polished, you know, from a basketball standpoint and also coordination-wise. And, you know, like I said, I mean, his athleticism is something you can't teach too in his length. I mean, I don't have the exact wingspan. There's a little, there's a lot of encouraging length with him and, you know, his, his athletic, uh, you know, qualities that he has. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see what he can do in this, in this defense and, you know, this system, because like I said, offensively, it's going to take some time, but he's shown glimpses of it that he can take guys off the dribble. You know, he can finish around the basket. Most of his baskets right now are kind of dunks and layups, but, you know, he's been able to take guys off the dribble from the perimeter, um, Maybe he can hit a 15-foot jumper at some point. You know, that stuff's going to come. But, you know, Iowa has a really intriguing piece with him. And, you know, like I said before, I think from a skill standpoint, you see Cooper Koch playing a bigger role than you do Chris Tajo at this point as a freshman. But I think the ceiling with Chris is really, really intriguing. The ceiling of this class is really intriguing. Pairing that with the 2023 Classic, that's already on campus that we've seen the last couple games early on in the year. So as of now, the 2024 class is likely done. Two scholarships available for this class. One, if Tony Perkins decides to stay for another year. And I think if Tony Perkins decides to stay for another year, then Iowa probably won't go into the transfer portal for another, for a combo guard, but we'll see. You know, there's a lot of fluidity in college basketball. You know, this stuff can kind of change on a dime. Yep. But I always had a couple of big names on campus in the 2025 class that they'd really like to land. So I think most of the focus is going to go on that class right now when it comes to high school recruiting. But, you know, you got to always keep a guy open for maybe – or an eye open for a late riser and then, you know, potentially the transfer portal depending on what decisions happen after the uh, after this upcoming season. Yeah, and you mentioned that Tony Perkins, if he decides to come back, and again, take this with a grain of salt, but I mean, talking to him in media day, like Sean, he's made it very publicly known that he intends for this to be his last year. Like his goal is the NBA, but if he can go overseas, make a lot of money, like he, again, we'll see. I'm not saying it's it's not a done deal by any means, but I, I would advise, you know, people to kind of at least keep an eye on the portal maybe a little bit, but again, the portal is so interesting too. And I'm sure the rules will even change about the portal before the portal even opens again. I mean, that's just kind of the world that we're living in. Uh, wrap up this podcast with some breaking news that happened yesterday. I don't want to say necessarily unexpected news, Sean, but I think the timing of it was a little bit interesting. I was highest 2025 commit offensive lineman. Uh, Nick Brooks officially announced his decommitment from Iowa's 2025 class. I know, you got the chance to talk to some sources and you had a bunch of VIP intel up on 24 seven sports. Uh, but let's talk about the recruitment just a little bit here. If people want to get a little bit more inside scoop, they can hop on our message board for that. Uh, this is going to be a recruitment full of twists and turns. I don't necessarily want to say Iowa's done with this recruitment. Cause I think that'd be too premature. Uh, but I do think that it's a very interesting situation and I would advise people not to, cast stones without knowing the full story 
It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, the commitment of Brooks in September felt a little eerie because obviously coming back to Iowa, the reason why Iowa jumped into the race in the first place is because they received word that Brooks was moving back to Iowa and they kind of felt like that was their best chance at that point because they didn't really think they had a chance with Brooks living in Georgia and SEC country. So you know, from that, it makes sense. Brooks is really close with his family. I mean, he has 17 brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm not really sure how the whole family tree works, but, you know, he's pretty close with his brothers and sisters and, you know, wants to be near his parents, wants to be near his family. Um, and obviously it just felt like a perfect storm moving back to Iowa and, you know, eventually picking the Hawkeyes a couple months later. But it just felt a little weird when – um, you know, I talked to him at what before his announcement, got quotes from him, asked him, Hey, like, are you still, are you still going to keep in it? Like, is your recruitment done? Like what's kind of the deal here? He's like, yeah, I'm committed to Iowa, but I'm still going to take official visits. And right there, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be uh this is going to be interesting. Yes. I think he stays a Hawkeye because, you know, he lo- loves his family, wants to be close to his brothers, really good relationship with his brothers, younger kids who, you know, obviously look up to him really close with his mom too. Um, but, you know, it just felt felt a little odd still. But then when you look at his yeah. game day visits, he's going to Iowa City for every home game, saying a lot of really positive things behind the scenes, told me that he wants the Iowa offense to do more, but don't we all um, felt really comfortable with the coaching staff. Like all everything was really good and really positive. And then this weekend, he takes a visit to Texas Tech with a couple of buddies, um, one of them from Cedar – both of them from Cedar Rapids. One of them lives down in Lubbock. And it sounds like, you know, Texas Tech was kind of like, hey, like, you know, you can keep things open. Like, you know, obviously can't really say NIL, but obviously NIL was talked about and, you know, yep. everything like that. And, you know, it's continued to be programs talking to him. And I reported that. Georgia called him about like 50 or 60 times leading up to his commitment saying, Hey, like push this back a little bit, like keep an open, keep an open eye. So, you know, while he was committed to Iowa, it never really felt like the phone lines were off with Brooks and, you know, it's, it's, he, he said they didn't plan to take any more game day visits to other places the night before. Um, so I kind of took that as, Hey, you know, he's kind of wrapping things up, you know, he's all in with Iowa because he said that he visited Texas Tech as a guest with one of his buddies. Um, yeah. But when you're a four-star offensive lineman, top 247 guy, you know, and you're committed somewhere else, you know, schools aren't going to take that as a guest. So, you know, Texas, Texas Tech offered. I don't think he ends up at Texas Tech. I mean, who knows at this point, honestly. You could <clears throat> give me like 10. You could give me like. You could say he's ending up at a school, but I wouldn't believe you until he announces or until you hear yeah. from him or, you know, official word from the coaching staff. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Colorado offered last night. 
Jeff Johnson, I think from the Gazette report a couple weeks ago that Colorado started to talk to Johnson a little, or started to talk to Brooks a little bit more, um, even with the Iowa commitment. Obviously, you know, Colorado may not be as, as sexy as it was at the start of the season with Deion Sanders and, you know, kind of the national storyline that they were, but, you know, they're still pretty flashy. I mean, to see what Deion's done in that first year with a pretty bad offensive line has been impressive. Yeah. No running game, bad offensive line. And the yeah. reality is when you're Dion, Sean, like the year one to two jump, there's going to be big things expected. Like they came into this yeah. year with nothing and look at all the attention that they got. So if yeah. you don't, if people think that they're going away anytime soon, I, I would advise against it. And I'm not saying national title favorite or anything like that at all, but they're going to be laying some big time kids. And as far as Nick Brooks goes, I let really want to Let me finish it. this one thought. Let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me finish this one thought. And I was just going to say, too, like, Nick's the type of kid who, who likes the recruiting process, loves being committed to Iowa. But I just think it, it – where he pointed it out to me is he said that there's stuff going on at Iowa right now, meaning, you know, the coaching changes. I mean, he so, wasn't immediately stuck to Kirk – or to Brian Ferentz. Like, George Barnett and Kirk Ferentz were the main guys recruiting him along with Tyler Barnes. But I think he kind of took that as – and, I mean, schools can use this, like, during recruiting. It's like, yes, Kirk can say that he's coming back for another year but or another couple years, but coaches are going to look at that and be like other coaches from other schools can negatively recruit against that. And, you know, I'm not saying Nick's easy to convince, nothing like that, but, you know, it's a he's a 16-year-old kid. Like, that's – 17-year-old kid. Like, that's going to – you know, kind of stick in the back of your mind. I mean, Kirk flat out said he's, his intent is to continue to stay at Iowa. But, you know, you talk about Brian Ferentz, like people can use that as kind of a tool to negatively recruit against Iowa. And I'm not yep. saying that totally happened during the Texas Tech visit, but, you know, it's something that a lot of these schools that were talking to Brooks while he's committed to Iowa probably yep. use, especially in the last week or so. And that's why – things started to ramp up a little bit too. So like I said, I mean, there are so many factors that go into it. I think Iowa is still going to stay in the race. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but it also would not surprise me if he were to go elsewhere at this point. Um, I would lean him going elsewhere uh, at this point in the process, but we'll see what happens. I mean, if Iowa can, you know, pick it up, I mean, offensively, uh, you know, there's, there's still a lot of time to go till December what 2024 which is the early signing period for the 2025 class yeah. so I me mean, it would not surprise me to see brooks on a couple of sec campuses over the next few weekends and you know into the winter and into the spring into the summer um it's it's gonna be a wild ride <laughs> Let's just i was put gonna it say gonna yeah be, i mean I was gonna say, i'm not gonna believe it till it pens on paper at this point and that and that's the way it is like iowa fans love the loyalty they love people being committed but how many times have you and I talked about this on this show, Sean? If you want to come, if you want to recruit against the big boys, you got to handle the twists and turns that happens in blue blood recruiting. So Nick Brooks is not in the wrong for wanting to take all these visits. And he's 13 months away from signing day. That's a long, long time. And three, he's 16, 17 years old with all the pressure in the world on his shoulders. A lot of opportunity but a lot of pressure, whether it be from his camp, whether it be from all these schools, whether it be whatever, that's a lot on an impressionable teenager. And I, I think that's what people need to kind of at least keep in the back of their mind in this situation. I think Iowa understands that. I think they're going to continue to go after him a little bit. 
Uh, but I also think they're going to keep their door, you know, ears open for other targets because what's Iowa hate more than anything, Sean? They hate getting spurned at signing day or down the stretch. Uh, and that's become very, very apparent, uh, at least covering this team. So good stuff from you. I know we have a lot more on our message board about that as well. I do want to say there's one more football note that I forgot to mention earlier, Sean. The NCAA meeting that was delayed two weeks ago, they're supposed to be meeting later this afternoon. So maybe we'll get some clarity on Noah Shannon, if he'll be eligible. Uh, I've already made my opinion very clear about the situation. I think you're kind of in that same boat. I think a lot of people are too. Uh, But if Noah Shannon's cleared, he's going to play. He's going to start. And I've heard really good things behind the scenes. And his teammates have been raving about him. Uh, With that being said, Kirk Ferentz said yesterday he is not optimistic or not hopeful, I think is the right word. Uh, because of the way the NCAA conducts its business. So if we hear anything, we'll post it to HawkeyeInsire.com. But other than that, we will uh, we'll talk in a few days. Very, very pivotal contest for Iowa uh, to continue to take the full driver's seat in the Big Ten West. Of course, I think the most cr- critical matchup, Sean, is going to be that Nebraska game in that season finale. But uh, we'll cross that bridge when <laughs> the time comes. Uh, but again, 50% off HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at David Eichel, at SBOC247, and at Hawkeyes on 247. And we will talk soon. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!